this last uh, week, we kicked off a new series entitled Compassion Culture, Canceling Cancel Culture with the Language of Love. And we're taking a look at this strange, crazy phenomenon called cancel culture that is seemingly taking over our culture, and it seems to be taking over society. And we're continuing to unpack what it means to truly love people in a culture that would rather silence those with whom they disagree. And we see it all over the place. People have disagreements. People are in different sides of the, of the conversation politically, and they just want to cancel everybody out. And it becomes and creates a toxic environment in which we will struggle to be able to find relationship. Last week, we defined this, this crazy spectacle called cancel culture. We defined it this way. Cancel culture refer, refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures, companies after they've done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. And we see it all over the place. This ostracism that takes place when people disagree or somebody says something or somebody types something or somebody tweets something and, and, and it, and it you know, someone, someone takes exception with it and they, and they want to cancel them out. And it's something that it continues to, to unfortunately be at the core of our culture. And last week we, we talked about the two premises that basically embody cancel culture. And those two premises are, I'm right and you can't change. I'm right, you can't change. So, if there's nothing else that you get today, I'm right, you're wrong, and none of you can change. So there you go. You're welcome. Have a great day. God bless you all. But that's, that's the premise of cancel culture is I'm right, you're wrong, and you can't change, so I'm just going to cancel you out. I have no more time for you. I don't want to hear from you. Don't call. Don't write. Please don't drop by because I've got a ring doorbell and I'll see you. But we come to that place where we just want to cancel people instead of stepping into meaningful relationship. And God's desire is that everyone would come to the realization of his love and the plan and the purpose that he has for each of you. Last week, we discussed our need to find common ground and at times to learn to just simply agree to disagree. It's okay. If I think I'm right and I think you're wrong, but we can come to a place of mutual disagreement. The unfortunate consequences of a society and a culture that is desiring to cancel and silence people is that many are left feeling worthless or less than. Many are, are, are without purpose or, or feel that they don't have value when people put them in this place. And we've all been there. We've been in that place where an influencer in our life, somebody that we is important to us, has made us to feel like we were stupid or incompetent or not well-read on a particular subject or, or just didn't fit what this world needed. And we've been in that place where we've felt devalued and we've felt like we don't matter. And it pushes us to a, a dangerous place over time. Result is a feeling that our existence in this world really holds no value whatsoever. 
and we walk through life struggling to find identity. As we continue our conversation today, I want us to begin by looking at what the Bible says in regard to living with compassion and allowing God to be our source of comfort and purpose. I've entitled today's message, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up in a family, the pastor's family, and, and uh, anytime the doors were open, we were at church, right? And it was, it was crazy. You know, we would fight like cats and dogs. We just, I had three brothers, and it was just like, rawr, rawr, all the way to church. And then we get to church, and the, the car door would open, step out, and we were like, hey, everybody. God bless you all. Hello. Glory to God. And we'd say all the right things, and we'd do all the right things, but we were, you know. And anytime the doors of the church were open, we were there, whether it was Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or a special service or this or that or the other thing, we were there. And in the midst of all of that, I, I obviously learned all the songs and I memorized all the verses. And there was one particular song that, Stuck with me. Jesus loves me. Some of you know it if you spend any time in, you know, in church. It's Jesus loves me. This I know. Are you guys going to make me sing it by myself? So the Bible tells me, yeah, yeah, yeah you, get, you get it, right? Now, if you're really, really advanced, you went into the advanced mechanics of the, of the, the you know, the, the motions. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We, 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 yeah, but he is strong. It, you guys are no help. Thank you. I have great confidence that those of you who are watching online were right along with me on the motions. Nobody here helped me out at all, just for the record. Yeah, I'm sure. But God's desire is, is not just that we would show others his love and compassion, but that we would experience it ourselves, that we would understand that Jesus loves me. This I know. And this is a challenge because we all know ourselves too well. We know what goes through our minds. We know the decisions that we make in life. We know the areas that we've stepped out of God's plan and his purpose. And we struggle with those realities. It pushes us to a place where we go, I don't know if God can use me. I don't know if he really, really loves me right now because I know what I've done. So this morning, I want to dive into the word to be encouraged in the fact that God does have a plan and he does have a purpose and he does love you and he loves me very much. Our text today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out on the table in the lobby. Please grab one. There's no greater guidebook to life than this. So please, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. Those are, those are free for you to take. If you have your mobile device, all of this stuff is in the YouVersion Bible. I have to search for neighborhood church. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you are our comforter, that you are the one who brings compassion. You are the author of compassion and of love. And this morning, we know that you have a desire to show us the grace and the peace and the love that we don't deserve, but that you've so freely given. So help us this morning, God. We ask for your, your strength to be able to not only receive that compassion, but then to offer it to those that we come in contact with in life. God, we thank you for your love. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts and you'd change our lives today. We spend time in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. He's speaking to them about God's great compassion and his desire to be our comfort in whatever situations that we face in life. He's desiring to be that answer. The reality is life's troubles seem to kind of pop up at every turn. Would you agree? Life is hard sometimes. And those troubles seem to be lurking around every corner, just waiting to kind of spoil our day and, and kind of mess things up. You know, if you turn on the news, it just seems to be all bad news. I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I, I feel like the, if, you, if you turn on the news, they should just, you know, just be honest and be like, well, it's all bad news today. Thanks for tuning in, but today so-and-so is mad at, the, at so-and-so, and, you know, this person did this to this person, and, and it's just all bad. So there you go. Be encouraged. I wish they'd at least be honest, because it just seems to all be bad. You turn on the news, and people are angry with one another, and there's senseless acts of violence that seem to be popping up every day. People are destroying one another. There's frustration and confusion surrounding this pandemic. People wondering, when is this thing going to end? When are we going to get to the place where everybody's been vaccinated? When are we going to get to the place where there's herd immunity? When can we all collectively light these masks on fire and be done with it? There's frustration and there's confusion in the midst of trying to keep people safe. And it's a struggle for many people. And it can begin to feel hopeless and isolating looking at our lives and the things that are happening around us and wondering, what can I possibly do? This is all just too messed up. What can I do to, to change anything? And too often, these feelings can lead us not to desire to cancel others, but instead to cancel ourselves from the ability to be used by God. Because we know ourselves. We know our struggles. We know our decisions. Yet in all of this, the Scripture reads, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. How many of our troubles? All. If you're watching online, type all into the little comment section. God desires to comfort us in all of our troubles, in all of the struggles that we face in life. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Cancel culture 
whether we choose to believe it or not, has become one of the greatest threats to the Great Commission, to people stepping into meaningful relationship. Because none of us are perfect. And so when we screw things up, man, we want to cancel each other out and I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. This person's messed up my life too many times. And God's desire is that we would be vessels of hope and love and compassion. And that we would truly take on the mantle of the Great Commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. To do relationship with people. Spend time with one another. This absolutely remains true as it pertains to God's plan and His purpose for each and every one of us. You know, in order to move past these feelings of inadequacy that we sometimes face in life, or the feeling that we've done too many things wrong and God can no longer use us, we need to remember a few things. The first thing is this. Perfectionism is an admirable character trait. It's not what God desires. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, be perfect. I expect you all to be perfect and to walk without blame. We see a lot of grace in Scripture. We see a lot of times where Jesus came alongside of people who were struggling and who were in sin and who were making really bad decisions. He says, I love you. Go and sin no more. Follow me. And he desired relationship with people who were struggling. Too often we get caught up in the crazy cycle thinking life is just one big performance. Oh, I got to step out on the stage and I got to make sure I say all the right things and I do all the right things and I, I address all the right people and I do everything perfectly and, and, and if I don't, man, the show's off and God can't use me anymore because I messed up screwed things up. And if we don't pull it off perfectly, we let ourselves and everyone else down. We get to that place where we get discouraged. It becomes exhausting and disappointing. Maybe maybe you look at your life and you're like, it's it's like that movie. It's just an unfortunate series of events, you know, or a series of unfortunate events. And we want to just kind of look at our lives and say, well, there's, there's there's just no point. I remember when I was a young man, younger man, and uh, I'd, I'd just gotten my driver's license just as a precursor to this portion of the story. Um, I got my driver's license late in my 16th year of existence on this earth, um, primarily because uh, I made the decision to drive when I was 15 with a learner's permit without my parents in the vehicle, which apparently is illegal and not something that you should do. And uh, to make matters worse, when my parents were on vacation, uh, my older brother thought it would be probably a wise thing to tell my parents about said driving excursion. And so uh, as a consequence, I was not able to get my license when I turned 16. So later on, after I had not been driving and my mom was losing her mind, and she's like, go get your, go get your license for crying out loud. I went and got my license, and uh, I managed to rack up within the first year three speeding tickets, because apparently there was something wrong with the uh, gas pedal in the vehicle my parents gave me to drive, 
which is, I tried to explain that to the police officers, but they didn't. Anyways, so the first one, I, uh, I was coming back from a high school basketball game. We're on I-5, and I was doing uh, what the cops said was somewhere between 80 and 90, which apparently isn't good um, to do in there. So that was about a $329 speeding ticket right in that little little area of time where they didn't decrease speeding tickets. So my dad and I went out to Lebanon for no reason at all. And uh, they tacked an extra 25 bucks on for city fees. And because we paid it that night, they discounted it $25. It was great. It's perfect. And then I got another speeding ticket. And then I remember it was, it was the 4th of July. And our family was out in Almsville at my, my oldest brother's house. And we were going to Staten for the fireworks. And I'm driving through Staten, and, and, you know, as many of you know, Staten's a kind of a one-horse town, and, and uh, so, you know, their cops are out in full force. I was driving down a 25-mile-an-hour street at about 45 miles an hour, apparently, and uh, the cop came this direction and then flipped a Yui and, and pulled me over. And at that point, I was done. I was done. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I literally went back to my brother's house and I walked in the door, and I was so frustrated. And I was so disappointed in myself. I, I took my keys out. I chucked them on the couch, and I'm like, I'm done. I can't, I, I don't, I can't do this. And I walked, I walked into the bedroom, and I started crying at the tender age of 17. I was just so disappointed in myself. I was like, my parents are never going to forgive me. And uh, it, was, it was not a good day. And at some point, I picked up the mantle of, of navigating a vehicle again, but it was, it was tough. And sometimes we can get to that place in life where it feels like that. I've done so many things wrong, and I, it just seems like at every turn I can't, I can't figure this out, and I'm done. And we just kind of get hopeless. We don't even want to try anymore. And we feel as if we don't live our lives to perfection, then God can't use us. We're just not worth anything. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, there is, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Scripture says there's no one righteous, not even one. The only righteous person to walk the face of the earth was Jesus. He was perfect. He was without blame. But somehow, in the scope of our lives, we think, no, I've got to be perfect i got to do this all right. I can't screw things up, man. People are watching. God's watching. And we get to that place where we struggle because we expect perfection out of ourselves. The reality is God is desiring obedience, not perfection. He's not desiring that you'd be perfect. He just desires that you'd obey, that you'd walk with him. And as we live our lives, God's strength is shown in our weakness. When we fail, God can show up and take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Because he loves us. But we get so wrapped up in our desire to live just right that we miss the people who are struggling around us. We miss that there's stuff happening in our sphere of influence that God desires that we would speak to and show love and compassion. But when we stop, stop trying to be perfect, we will likely stop expecting those 
around us to be perfect. Because none of us is. So if I can't expect myself to be perfect, why would I expect anybody else to be? And yet we do. You better be perfect or we're canceling you. Don't say that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, mm, ah. You do that, we can't use you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guess what? You're not perfect. Neither am I. So stop expecting perfection. Because we deceive ourselves if we think that we can walk perfectly. Yes, we should pursue Christ-likeness. Yes, we should pursue doing the right things. But if you don't have the power of God at work in your life, it is going to be a futile effort. I'm just telling you, it's going to be a struggle. Jesus never expected his disciples to be perfect. He only asked them to follow him. He just said, follow me. He didn't say, stop doing that, be perfect. Everybody, you know, I'm, okay, I'm going to walk on the water, then you walk behind me. Okay, no, that's not how you do it. No. He just said, follow me. So are we willing to stop striving for, for perfection in order to start pursuing more of Jesus? Because that's all he wants is a relationship. That's all he wants is to be you and with me. So stop trying to perform in such a way that will leave you disappointed. The perfection is an admirable character, but it's not what God desires for your life or for mine. The second thing is this. Compassion for others begins with self-compassion. The ability to offer compassion to yourself. The reality is, how can you show grace to somebody else if you can't receive the grace that God has given you? Interestingly, in this world of perfectionism, none of us truly are perfect. Newsflash. Not perfect. And yet, everybody's striving to be. And unfortunately, we see society hang people's failures over their heads in order to cancel them out. Things that people have said as, or posted as young adults. You know, you said this when you were 15 years old, and that wasn't right. And so now, you know, we're going to reject your college scholarship because you can't change. Who you are then is who you are now, and... So, sorry. Or we make a mistake, or we hurt somebody, or we breach trust. That's it. Can't do it anymore. And we cancel people out. Our culture has an unwillingness to allow people to change. It's the world we live in. I'm right, and you can't change. But the whole message of the gospel is transformation. It's life change. 
It's you were dead in your sin, and now you're alive in Christ. How can we have the power and the privilege to cancel people? We can't. We can't cancel ourselves out. We would be better to see people as works in progress than to expect perfection. Because all of us are on journey to what God is desiring to do in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness and imperfection is God's playground for working miracles in your life and in mine. He desires to show up in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your failure, and do something amazing. The reality is God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. So stop questioning it. God's grace is available for you and for me. It should give us the ability to forgive ourselves in order to then have the ability to show compassion to other people. Because God's greatest desire is to work through us to show his love. When we see God's love for us each day, we can offer the compassion we deserve to ourselves. You know, psychologists have actually come up to the place now where they're defining this idea and this trait just simply as self-compassion. And they define self-compassion as a form of self-acceptance even in the face of failure. It's accepting yourself and your flaws and saying, you know what, I'm messed up just like you are. Let's be messed up together. And we come to that place of understanding that we're not perfect. So we shouldn't expect ourselves to be perfect. And we shouldn't expect others to be perfect. Does it mean we have a license to sin? Absolutely not. But it means that when we're going along and things are going good and, and then the enemy comes in and bam, hits you and wants to knock you out of kilter, we don't have to lose hope because God's grace is sufficient. As we come to the understanding of who we are in Christ, self-compassion becomes a more natural way of caring for ourselves. If you don't care for yourselves, how will you be able to care for other people? If you don't care for your own soul, how will you be able to speak with the power of God to other people's souls? Psalm 139, 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them true well. I know that full well. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you wonderful. God has made you amazing. God has made you just the way he made you so that you can be a blessing to somebody. Self-compassion ultimately involves 
recognizing God's compassion for and acceptance of you and me. It's just realizing that God loves us and then receiving that. That's it. That's self-compassion in a nutshell. And it gives us the ability then to care for others. So we've got to come to the place of understanding Perfection is not what God desires. And compassion for others begins with giving yourself compassion. The final thought is this. God's love and compassion are secure in His promises. We've been talking about this compassion culture and creating culture of love and compassion and care for one another. God's love and compassion are secure in the promises that he makes us all over in Scripture. And in a world that's shifting and changing by the moment, God's love is constant. It's the one thing that never changes. No matter where we go, no matter how far away we wander, no matter where we find ourselves, we don't have to go any further than his promises. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's for us. He's not against us. He's faithful to forgive us. Faithful and just. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, no matter what happens in life. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I don't care what you're facing in life. I don't care how dire the situation looks. That is a promise for somebody today. That God's love and compassion will not be shaken. It will not be removed. And it That's for somebody. God has compassion. He loved us so much that he sent his son so that we could have life and we could have hope. We could have the hope of an eternity with him. The same way we can be secure in knowing God loves us, we should look for every opportunity to offer that same love and compassion to others. Receive God's love and then share it. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, and patience. It's a big list. Every day, that's what we're called to do. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I'll tell you right now, if we put on more of these character traits, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to show people compassion. It's going to be a heck of a lot easier to love people where they're at. Because we're going to remember that we're imperfect. We're going to remember that we're a work in progress. We're going to remember that God's plan and purpose is bigger than our situation or our circumstance. That stance of compassion and kindness should be directed both inward 
That's the self-compassion. And then outward. It's showing that love and compassion to others. Not getting down on ourselves when things don't go perfectly or we mess something up or we say something we don't and we have to go back and apologize and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's being willing to offer an encouraging word to someone when they're struggling. It's understanding the distance between discouragement and breakthrough may just be the love and compassion you show. Do you realize that? That you're rubbing shoulders with people every day who are right in the middle of dire discouragement or God's breakthrough. And maybe, just maybe, the only thing they need is for you to point them in the right direction and show them the love and compassion of Jesus. Jesus regularly showed compassion to those who otherwise didn't deserve it. He was surrounded by flawed people. He hung out with flawed people. He looked for flawed people to spend time with so he could be compassionate. Not to judge, to love. We need to come to the realization that God loves us despite our flaws and his desire is that same love and compassion to be shared with everyone we meet. This morning, I'm grateful to have my father-in-law, Mike Brandt, with me. Uh, He's going to come to the platform uh, right now and... um, I've known Mike for oh, like 24, 25 years now, and been married to his daughter for 23 of those years, and he's been an amazing uh, person who's influenced and impacted my life in many ways. He's shown me kindness and generosity, and, and he's shown me compassion when I didn't deserve it. Um, and this morning, uh, he's, in, he's in town, and he shared with us that there was a song that's impacted his life in a very major way. And I'm going to ask him to share that song in just a few minutes, but I've asked him to share a little bit of his story and his journey uh, through life and the compassion that was shown him and then sometimes the compassion that he had to show in the series of um, a lot of difficult circumstances. And so I'm going to turn things over to Mike, and uh, then I'll come back up. Uh, First, I'd like to share two things. Uh, I'm sure King David didn't use this with Goliath. And another thing, another thing, I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't stumble coming up these steps because if one of my grandkids got that on their iPhone, it'd probably go really viral or whatever they call that. So uh, I want to share, uh, I sang at the early service, and uh, it's the first time I've really sang in front of uh, very many people of uh, usually at church is where I've always sang. The other the other place I've sang a lot of is at funerals, and I've done a lot of that for friends, for fam- family members, and uh, that's been, a, you know, it's with, a, with a, a, a friend or family member, when they are saved and a believer, it's, it's a, it's, it could be a blessed time. But uh, when I've got three of them, and I'm going to, it was very hard. It might be easier this time a little bit. And I've gone through three. My dad, my dad had a, a freak a home a farming accident, and he died. And uh, when my dad and I were we were closest friends, my closest friend. 
when he died, I, I cried for weeks uncontrollably. I, I never realized that was possible, but I cried for weeks. And still it's right, right there, right laying on, on the skin. It's hard for me to talk about. So uh, I sang at his funeral, and then I think about six or seven years later, my mom, it was at a Thanksgiving time, and she, she called my sister and said, I don't quite feel uh, good enough. You know, she just didn't feel good, up to, up to par for wanting to do our big family get-together of my, my brother, his family, my sister, her family, and me and my families. And so she, uh, she, she told us, and we got it all set up. We, uh, my sister did most of the cooking and, and stuff, and, we still, and she, she was there a couple times, but she just didn't feel herself. So about almost a month later, she dies of liver cancer. And, and I, was very, I was close to my mother, not as close as my dad, because we did so many things. We hunted together. We fished. I, did, I helped him with the farm work, which I loved to do. And uh, so, but the, the strangest thing that was after my, a loss of my mom, felt like an orphan. And it's a, here is a, you know, a 46, 47-year-old man feels like an orphan that he doesn't have his dad or his mom. And that made me really kind of uh, rethink about these poor little kids that don't, they're in these, you know, orphanage or whatever else, and they don't have anybody that loves them. And it's, it's, really, a, it's really a trying one. So anyhow... Uh, that that only lasted for not that not that long of a time, and and there, there wasn't that much of a, a tears. I did cry and weep, but about a month later, just uh, right about my birthday before Christmas, we get a call at home. We were home, my wife at that time, my daughter Gretchen. We were at home. We had been at church, I think, and so we're standing around there making us something to eat Sunday night, and. We get a call from, uh, our boy was in the Air Force in, outside of Albuquerque at the base there. I forget the name of it. So we get a call. Richie's in the hospital from one of his little, it was a dirt bike. Uh, they, were all, they loved him down there. Dirt bike accident. So we get our flights out of Reno. Go down there that night. We get there super early in the morning in Albuquerque, and we go to the hospital. Richie's on life support. That was. That's a loss of life. A part of you that dies. So that's, that's, uh, that's the things that have really probably touched me. Never, never affected my faith. Maybe has taken me through uh, dry periods of my life. Yes. And that's why I'm thankful today that I get to share with you people and uh, fellow believers, people that love Jesus. And uh, part of the thing is how uh, I've been thinking about how uh, you, of what we are going through today as, as Christians is that you have one foot, you're walking up the trail. One foot is following in the steps of Jesus. 
that other foot is being grabbed and just choked and strangled by what's going on in our country and in our world today. And just in the sewer, in the gutter. And, and I, I know in my personal life, it's just the spiritual warfare is, is like, you can't even describe it. It's just trying to live the life of how Jesus wants us to live. And then I've seen, uh, I've seen what comes on every day or what you hear or what you see. And it's just, it's just sickening. So this is a little song I'm going to sing to you. Uh, to your hearts, to your spirit, and as well to mine, as, which I need. I, it, I, when my daughter asked me that, and I was really thankful. Because you can, when you go through, sometimes through dry times, they can be good for you, they can be testing, but at the same time, it, uh, it can be tough, but it's, it's something that we all need. So I'm going to sing this a little. It's a, almost like a, a, a prayer, a prayerful song. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I then shall walk, knowing Him my say. I know my sin and forget. Oh, I forget the words already. I'm so nervous. I then shall live as one who's been. Forgiven, I then shall walk as one who's been set free. I know my name is clear before my Father. I am his child, and I am not afraid. So greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. The love, love. I gladly will obey. I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too. I know how fear builds walls instead of bridges. I'll dare to see another point of view and when relationships demand commitment then i'll be there to care and follow through your kingdom come around and through and in me your power and glory let it shine in me your hallowed name, oh, may I bear with honor. And may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh, may I share with honor. And may you feed a hungry world through me. Thank you, Mike, for sharing the song and sharing your story. My prayer today is that you are 
encouraged to know in the midst of hardship, in the midst of grief and loss, in the midst of struggle, that God is still working. That his desire is that we would say, I then shall live a life worth living. I then shall live as I have been forgiven. I then shall live as I have been given compassion and have the ability to show that compassion to others. God's not done with you. He's not done with me. Your story is being, being written even today. And as we step into this life, my prayer is that you would lean in, that you would know that God's not done, that His grace is sufficient for you and me, that the compassion that He's given you is there to receive and then there to share. I, quote, I close with this quote this morning. It says, It is a lack of love for ourselves that inhibits our compassion toward others. We make friends with ourselves. There is no obstacle to opening our hearts and minds to others. God asks that we would live our lives in such a way that Christ is exhibited through us. And so as we close today, as we prepare to close the service, as the worship team returns, I ask you, what are you needing to give up to God? What are you needing to allow God to forgive or bless or release so that you can forgive yourself? Because once that happens, that compassion will be available to others. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son as the price to be paid so that we could receive compassion, we could receive grace, we could receive your love. And more than that, that we could step into relationship with you as we receive you as our personal Savior. God, we thank you for the hope of eternity. Thank you for the hope of relationship with you. We thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And that your plan and your purpose for our lives is perfect regardless of where we've been. So today we come back to our need of you. We confess, God, that we've tried to do it on our own and we've messed things up. But we know, Lord, that you have the power and the strength that we need each and every day if we just ask. We ask today, God, that you would be our strength, that you'd be our portion. Father, we just pray that you would allow our hearts to be open to your grace and to your forgiveness, your compassion, so that we can freely offer it to those with whom we interact. I ask that in Jesus' name. This morning, whether you're here in the house or you're tuning in online, perhaps you're in that place where you said, I've stepped into relationship with Jesus. I've not asked Jesus to be my personal Savior. I, I don't know what it's like to have life and have life abundant. I don't know what it's like to experience true compassion. And you find yourself in the midst of that struggle. I'm here to tell you 
you step into that relationship with Jesus, everything will change. Life's not perfect, but you'll have hope and the strength to step into what God is desiring to do each and every day. And you'll be able to receive that forgiveness that he freely gives, that compassion that allows you to walk knowing that you're forgiven so that you can show that grace and compassion to others. So in a moment, we're going to say a prayer together. And the scripture tells us if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that Christ died and was resurrected, we'll be saved. We be saved from our sins. We'll be given purpose in life. We'll be given a hope of eternity with Father God. And so if that's you today, I ask that you would just say this prayer that you'd mean it from your heart. Because God will come in and he'll change everything for you. So church, can we say this prayer this morning together? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live and died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I'm unable to change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So excited today to welcome you into the family of God. Scripture says that if even one comes into relationship with Jesus, that the angels in heaven celebrate. And today, I think we could celebrate together uh, that decision that so many have made. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for God's love. I'm grateful that we have the ability to step into culture to be those who don't cancel people, but those who show compassion. So we get, as we go out of this place today, let's make that decision to step into relationship, to step into the mess, to be willing to show the love and the compassion of Jesus with those with whom we come in contact. And as we say it every week, I pray God's blessing on you. But let's make the decision, the conscious decision, to go out of this place and to be the neighborhood. God bless you and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.